Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the Buffy Cast. I'm Kristen and I'm Caroline, and today we have a very special guest slash a very special friend and coworker. Ah, Lauren Vogelbaum. She is a producer here at How Stuff Works. Also. A podcast personality, video personality. You just do everything, Lauren. Uh, literally everything. Yeah, no, 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 no. Every, everyone around here does everything. That's the beautiful part of it. But yeah, uh, I uh, do a, a podcast and video show called How Stuff Works Now. And, you know, whatever else, uh, other stuff. Yeah, like like things. Buffy casts. Like Buffy casts. I am so excited that you guys actually decided to do this because we talked about it like a year ago. <laughs> and then it never happened. And then I was sad that maybe it would never happen and that you hated me. <laughs> But but it's all happening now, and I I I'm just so excited because I just love Buffy so much. Well, you are the Vogelbomb.com, and that's why Aww. we wanted you to come on the show and talk about Buffy with us. Yeah. Because because here's the thing, like you adore Buffy, and I did when I was much younger. I have not watched Buffy in a very long time. And I really did not change that status for this show, for this the recording of this episode. Which, you know, that's a good perspective because you have a childhood perspective. Yeah. Lauren is our expert, <laughs> hands down. I've 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 watched I've watched the series start to finish more than twice. Yes. Certainly. Nice. Um You're and an I, expert in slayage. And and my, my roommate, um, Andrew, who who is also very much into the show, was so upset that he he's not in this podcast studio <laughs> right now. He was like, I could dress like a girl with that help like that. Uh but no no, I he um uh, he and I have been watching and taking one of our other roommates through some of the older episodes, some of the classics. That sounds so, fun. So I have seen some of it very recently. Well and I had not watched any of the show at all ever until around a year ago when we first started talking about it because we've heard about Buffy fandom from our Stuff Mom Never Told You crew for so long. Y'all love Buffy. Well, about a year ago, we did uh, some episodes on witches, Hollywood witches, and also feminism and witchcraft. And so a lot of people were like, Hello, you you talked about all of this witchcraft stuff. Well, what about Buffy and vampire slaying? And Willow. And Willow. And uh, Tara. And yeah. lots of stuff. So many witches and warlocks and demons to cover. Uh, yeah, it was super fun, I got to say, watching it as an adult. Because I wasn't allowed to watch it when it was airing oh, because, because of, of the, the occult demon thing. Yeah. Yes. And I remember, though, how much uh, of a sex symbol Sarah Michelle Gellar was. Like, mm-hmm. that was my impression. She was always, the, the, like, the cover on, of the Haircut magazine. It was, yes. like, either her or Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> right. Yes. And she would always wear those spaghetti strap tank tops. And I knew the names of everyone. I knew she was Buffy. I knew that she was all into some super pale guy named Angel. <laughs> But I also know that my parents would get super uncomfortable with all of that demonology happening in the house. So I had to wait until I was 30. <laughs> also, don't tell my mom. <laughs> yeah, what would what would Nancy say if she knew you were watching it now? Oh, you know what? Nancy's cool, cool, cool now. You know? She'd probably be all right with it. 
Although I don't, I don't know. I don't know. She's still kind of squicked out by like yoga classes. So Buffy might be oh, a, a little bit too, too much. Far. Yeah. 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 There, there are several yoga like poses that Buffy does get into <laughs> in her pursuit of fighting demons. It's true. <laughs> so where do we even begin with the Buffy verse? Because it's so expansive. Seven seasons plus a comic book series that yes. is ongoing and, and creating new seasons. Of, is it of still the show? called just season eight? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was confusing for me, but I like it. I like that it's consistent. That but, even though it's several years long, it's still uh, just called season eight. Hard, hard, hardcore fans um, will say that it's it's non-canonical. So, but I thought it was canonical. I, you know, I don't really like to. It's not my argument. I don't have because of Joss Whedon. Didn't a fish he say? in this fight. What's the bo- yeah. bear? I it's, like a fish in this fight. <laughs> Because Just like a fish doesn't eat a bicycle. Well, right. that's how I fight, though, is I get a fish, fish and I slap you with it. Oof. Sorry, I know it smells in here, but I just have it ready in, case, in case things get a little testy. You always keep a flounder in your you purse. <laughs> so to speak. A, a prepared woman always has a flounder. It's true. <laughs> so for people who were like me not so long ago, who might not be so familiar with Buffy, What's the best way to break down who she is? I mean, obviously, the the, the show title is pretty self-explanatory. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's <laughs> that's it. It's what it says on the box. Pretty much. <laughs> that's what you get. Um, uh, she's uh, she's huh, she's the newest in a long line of demon slayers who were created by the patriarchy, as it turns out. As it, and, yes, as it turns out. And. Um, and she's she's just a normal teenage girl who's going about her slightly ditzy and charmed life as a very white middle class person. And then suddenly she's dropped with this responsibility. Um, and then the show uses that to, like, basically walk us through how high school is like hell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> literally. So Buffy moves to Sunnydale, where the show takes place. Most of the seasons take place. Mm-hmm. And it just so turns out. That Sunnydale, California is... Which uh, is fictional. Yes. It's not, it's not a real place. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> because it is a hell mouth. Yeah, it is situated right on top of a gate to hell. And it was on the air from 1997 to 2003, but first came Buffy the movie, which... I also have not seen. I haven't oh. seen it either. Really? Never? Never. Oh, my goodness. See, I it's... loved it when it came out. I, I was always really into horror and sci-fi and all of that. And so I was fascinated by by that a long time before the Buffy the Vampire Slayer television series came out. I actually didn't start watching the series until season six was airing. Oh. My very first episode was the musical episode. And we had to pause it about every four and a half seconds so that my friends could explain all of, <laughs> like, everything that was going on. Um, but, uh, but no, uh... The, the 1992 movie, yes, um, was a lot less feministy, to borrow Whedonism, um, than the TV show wound, wound up being. It was, uh, Buffy was a lot more sexualized, uh, it was, it was goofy. I mean, um, it the, had Dylan from 90210 in it. Yeah. That, is that Luke Perry? It yes. is Luke Perry. Okay. And, uh, by the way, as we are recording this, Luke Perry is currently on the cover of AARP magazine. I know. What? Yes. I know. Yes, but back to Buffy. Yeah. No, I'm going to need a minute. <laughs> yeah, okay. I know. We are old. It's okay, true. Okay, that's fine. No, that's I'm fine with that. Um <laughs> it, it had it had a really great sequence with Pee-wee Herman, Pee-wee Herman. Um uh, I'm I'm forgetting his name. Had had a Paul Rubens. Paul Rubens, thank you. Had a really terrific death sequence that lasted like 7 minutes. <laughs> uh 
Rutger Hauer was in there. I don't know why. No one knows why. Um, but but yeah, it's the movie. If if you choose to believe what Joss Whedon says about it, and can we really trust Joss Whedon? Um, no. If you uh, fr- from what he says, uh, it got out of his the, the studio took it out of his control pretty early on, and so it sort of escaped him. And uh, the TV show is very much more along the lines of what he was hoping to do with the concept. Well, and the original concept too is all about flipping the horror script where you usually have a, a an attractive girl like a Buffy who would be killed off. She's too sexy to survive, right? Yeah, she yeah. wanders down the dark alley. She gets killed, or instead of running to safety, she just runs upstairs and the monster or the killer, whoever gets her. But here's Buffy still looking that very stereotypically like cute California girl with the glitter eyeshadow and the little <laughs> pink tank tops. Still looking like that, but kicking major monster butt. Yeah, yeah. Like, like beware the monster that follows her into that dark alleyway. Right. I mean, to me, it was similar to watching Jessica Jones, which I watched before I started watching Buffy. Oh, weird. Yeah. And I had a similar sensation, like a comfort that kicked in when I realized, oh, Buffy can do this. Okay, she's not, yeah. she's not going to get beaten up by all of these monsters. Or if she does get beaten up a little bit, they're going to get it much worse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They're going to get dusted. Yeah. <laughs> I think um I think that Jessica Jones is based so firmly in so much of what Buffy the Vampire Slayer was doing like like right down to the actress that they cast as Jessica looking I think very much like Sarah Michelle Gellar and making a lot of very similar um facial expressions in response to things that are going on. Well, I was kind of wondering not to get too ahead of ourselves if Faith, the other slayer that she meets, who's a little more rough and tumble, also mm-hmm. a brunette, um was a little bit more of a Jessica Jones. But again, like my expertise is certainly not as deep <laughs> as yours. I like being an expert in something for once. Usually in this job, we all just research something for like two and a half minutes and then it's over. And yeah. now I'm just like, finally, I have something to bring to the table. Well, you should probably join up with the Whedon Studies people. <laughs> oh, oh my right. gosh. This exists. Oh, yes, it does. The Whedon Studies Association is going strong. I tell you. Well, I mean, isn't that incredible, though? Because I feel like so much of media that is either by or for girls or it's focused around girls, and I mean girls, not women. I do mean girls. Uh, it's it's so easy to brush it off, and, and academia just tends to ignore it as something girlish and sparkly and glittery. But here you have Buffy, which is clearly so ripe for the analyzing, and people really have. Oh, yeah, because you have a show that's loaded with allegory, mythology, cultural references, its own lexicon. You can buy a glossary, a Buffy glossary put together by a linguist. Um, and the Whedon Studies Association is not just some, you know, some rando fans getting together. It's it's not a site on GeoCities, no. <laughs> it is not. It's not a Zanga. <laughs> it was co-founded, for instance, by an English professor, David Lavery, at Middle Tennessee State University. And as I was going through some of the papers on there last night, I, I mean, these are PhD students who are submitting to uh, their two uh, journals, the Slayage, which is the higher-level journal, and then they have uh, The Watcher Junior, which is for, I think, more like bachelor uh, degree-level students. And for a little taste of the kinds of papers that are still coming out, examining uh, Buffy up, down, and sideways, you have some current Slayage articles. Welcome to Buffydale, Mutual Construction of Bodies in Space in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, 
Okay. I also appreciated this one. I thought it was very, uh, very on point for stuff mom never told you. Negotiations after hegemony. Buffy and gender. And I liked how the author describes the major female characters in Buffy as possessing a pariah femininity. Interesting. Pariah to whom? To, I think, social convention. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. (laughs) We'll get back to the pariahs in a moment. Uh, There's also tying into another Stuff Mom Never Told You episode from a while back. Heaps of images, tarot cards in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which also references the paper, Where's the Religion in Willow's Wicca? I mean, I can see how if you're going to analyze this show up, down, and sideways, you would have to eventually get to the corner of the show that is the specific Wicca that Willow practices. Yeah. yeah. So let's offer a bird's eye view, if we can, of the primary Buffy characters and the dynamics between them, kind of what propels each uh, each episode. Because in terms of genre, yes, you have the whole vampire, demons, and witchcraft, etc. But it's a very genre-busting show. But a lot of the relationships between the characters and, like, who they are um, are really reliable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... While we were preparing for this, it kind of struck me that the entire show focuses on Buffy's relationships with the women in her life. Um, and, and it kind of occurred to me that, that after season two, after the, the main arcs of her and Angel's relationship are over, everything that she does is for either herself or for the women that she's connected to. Um, and that's, uh, that's her, her mother, Joyce, um, her eventual sister, Dawn, um, <laughs> Spoiler alert! I'm I'm not sure. I what's what's the what's the uh, deadline? For, I feel like for if a show comes point. out in 1997, we can okay, we can offer some spoilers. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Her her super best friend ever, Willow, um, and and then and then some some surrounding characters, some of the bad guys, uh, Faith and Darla and Drusilla, and uh, and and Cordelia. Of course, I forgot Cordelia. Oh, Cordelia. So we have the primary relationship then with her. And her mom, which I'm, I'm a fan of Joyce. I gotta say, like, when I was thinking back to watching this show, which I watched for several years before quitting, and that will offer a transition in just a second, but, uh, I had a blank spot in my brain where Joyce was supposed to be. Like, I, I could so clearly remember all the other characters. Like, I could remember the details of Tara's face, for instance. But, like, Joyce, I had, and I even Googled her. And nothing. There was nothing. Like that, that's been huh. replaced by like my early voting locations, which is probably a good thing. Is she yeah. just the teacher on Charlie Brown? Not voice? even. I literally didn't remember Buffy had a mother. Anywho. But I quit the show for oh. a very specific reason. And that is her fake sister, Dawn. <laughs> You and a lot of other people. Well, so Dawn was introduced in what, the fourth or fifth season? Uh, fourth. Uh, fifth, 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 fifth. Okay. Well, so I watched it up to that point, and I even think I watched some of that season. But basically, like, here's Caroline. It's the early 2000s. At this point, I'm in high school, and I'm like, yeah, I'm tuning in for Buffy. And then I'm like, why is Michelle Trachtenberg here? This is the worst. And then her character irritated me enough and the fact that she was there as a sister all of a sudden annoyed me enough that I was like I'm done I'm done with this entire show 
was it your only child <laughs> status kicking Could be. I was like, oh my. Like, who is this intruder? Who is this? We don't share, do we, Buffy? She, she grows up a lot over the, over the couple years that she's on the show and, and becomes, I would say, probably the most strongly feminist character by the end of the series. Interesting. So speaking of the character's maturity, one thing that just occurred to me in terms of Buffy, who is obviously like wise beyond her years in a lot of ways. She's facing, you know, some obstacles we probably don't usually when we're 16 and 17, <laughs> like, you know, demons and such. Uh, but she's still so grounded in her teenageness, which is in stark contrast to the first character that comes to mind who really aggravates me as like the, the older, wiser teenage daughter in uh, Casual, this Hulu show. If you've seen it, um, she's the only daughter of a now single mom. And she's just so worldly wise <laughs> to a point where she kind of parents the parent and not in a more innocent Rory Gilmore type of way toward Lorelai, but really making her an adult, which could have easily been done with Buffy. But especially when it comes to her love life and her friendships and even her relationship with Giles, they do such a good job with um, keeping her teenageness very believable. Yeah, and 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 yeah, some of that innocence, e- even despite all of the stuff that she goes through. Like at her heart of hearts, she's just a girl who is becoming a woman who wants to have the experiences that all of her peers do, and is mad that she doesn't get them. And and I think that all of us, like like I think that very huge fans of Buffy relate to that in whatever specific way. Um, but you know, whatever it is that that has happened in in your life that you can relate to, like, oh man, like I feel like part of my opportunity to like be normal has been taken away. Yeah, and I think I can appreciate that they don't try to just basically that they address it, that they allow yeah. her to be like, man, this sucks, because <laughs> she has the quote at one point of like, this isn't a job I can just hang up at the end of the day and then go snuggle with my honey. You know, there's no like running around with other, you know, acquaintance type friends. You have your core group of friends who know who you are and what you are and what you do. And they're and ev- helping you on this journey. Yeah, And everyone else is probably a little bit scared of you. Yeah. And like just sort of wants to be over there whenever you're around because some demon might come crashing through the wall. Yeah. And for a, a brief layout of the Sunnydale High School universe where it starts and really what the first three, four seasons take place while they're still in high school. You have Buffy who shows up and she comes with a reputation. I mean, obviously she's super attractive, but everyone knows that she was transferred to the school because something had happened. Yeah. So and that and that thing was that she burned her previous school's gym down. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> While fighting demons. Oh, okay. See, you know, a good cause. Uh and she befriends Willow and Xander, um, who Xander, by the way, is is really just a young Chandler Bing oh from Friends. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> Can we I'm, agree? I'm so glad you said oh, that. I no. have always thought that. Yeah. Yeah, he's no. a young Chandler. That's... I like him more than Chandler, but he has a very a Chandler-y yeah, yeah. little affect. Huh, mm-hmm. He does. He's such a, oh, I have a problem with Xander Harris, y'all. Mm-hmm. We'll get to Xander. We'll get to Xander. So we, okay. so we have Willow and Xander who are the outcasts. And 
I also appreciate Buffy's befriending of Willow in particular, but both Willow and Xander, because of course Xander sees Buffy and is like, a hubba hubba. Um, and Buffy's <laughs> like, no, bro, let's just be friends. And it all, and that ends up working out. But, and Willow is so kind of taken aback that Buffy would even want to hang out with her. Yeah. Which is such a relatable high school emotion. I know. Yeah, well, I mean, especially, you know, Buffy is very stylish. She's from another city. She, or she I mean, she's from L.A. She's coming into the small town, and Willow is just like, I, my mom shops at Sears for me. I don't know why you're looking at me. You're so nice. So sweet. And then uh, Xander, of course, also has a crush on the uber-popular brunette. Cordelia. Cordelia Chase. Oh, man. What a perfect name, by the way. Right? Cordelia Chase. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, she is the queen bee of all the popular cheerleader types and the jocks. And then, of course, you have the school librarian, Giles, who is Rupert also... Rupert Giles. Rupert Giles, the watcher. And we know he's smart because he speaks with a British accent. Yes. I love Giles. Oh, sure. I love love Giles. Giles. Yeah. It's his whole deal to sort of be the mentor to the group, but specifically, obviously, to Buffy as the watcher. And he comes from what? The council? What is it called? The council? The watcher's council? Yes. There we go. There you go. It's a simple name. Um, Yeah. The the, the watcher's council, which uh, was constructed in order to watch over and train slayers as as they are called because every time a slayer dies a new one is called they're usually pretty confused about how they can like punch through doors now so some white guy with a british accent comes and goes like well (laughs) you have this obligation to not just punch through doors because you like it but to punch through doors because vampires are on the other side and you need to kill them and then in the vampire realm the main vampires you gotta know are angel who is a vampire with a soul (gasps) which means he's hunky (laughs) Which means he's hunky and he and Buffy love each other. Oh, man. Yeah, their their sexual tension is pretty great. It's pretty good. I I, can I just say that, like, I so distinctly, even though my brain has no space for Joyce, apparently, I so distinctly remember the sex scene between Buffy and Angel when he experiences true happiness and therefore loses his soul. Although I, I do want to say a really lovely thing about that was that his moment of true happiness was not his orgasm. It was when they were snuggling together afterwards. Oh, I didn't, I didn't remember that. Oh, so, see, Angel. I only partially clearly remembered it then. Well, it's 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 kind of a subtle thing. I, mi- I might have thought about this a lot because <laughs> because it's problematic as heck. It's it's so problematic yeah. that that. Having sex with this person that she loved made him turn into a bad person. Yeah. But we'll, we will get okay. back to that. Okay, sorry. Yes. Because all your faves are pro- problematic. Yeah, of yeah. course. Also, I want to point out that I'm wearing a clotto right now because of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Love it so much. So in addition to everyone's favorite vampire boyfriend, Angel, you have on the more evil side, Drusilla, who, by the way, is now following Stuff Mom Never Told You on Twitter. Hey, Drew. I think because we mentioned Buffy in a tweet, and she follows a lot of people, but I still felt pretty special. Yeah. So, hello, Drusilla, if you're listening. I don't think she follows me. That's great. Well, do it. Yeah, uh, that would be amazing if she were listening. Uh, and <laughs> she and Spike, the evil vampire, are in cahoots to really just what tear up the world. Yeah, you well, know, reign evil. And she was made a vampire by Angel. Yes, uh, right? Drusilla 
wait. Yeah, he tortured her when when she was pre-vampire. Yes, yes. Uh, her and yeah, because Dar- Darla sired Angel. Mm-hmm. Darla is is another vampire, um, and actually one of the first characters that you see at the very beginning of the series. Um, the the first ever episode opens on on a big old dude leading a perky looking young lady down a hallway. And then the young lady vamps, and it's Darla, and she kills the dude. Oh, see, I had forgotten about Darla. Yeah, when we were talking about, she kind of she's not around very long, right? Um, no, she kind of comes in and out. Um, she and then she she dies of syphilis or something, right? She can vampires die? Wait, what am I thinking of? She has syphilis. I think she had syphilis before she was vamped. (laughs) (laughs) No, I literally I read that she has she has Angel's vampire baby and. Then mm. something else happens. I don't remember. I knew honestly. she had syphilis before she became a vampire. Yeah, because she was a she was a prostitute. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, we're all learning things together <laughs> as well as educating our listeners. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, Spike, Spike, and Drusilla um, have a have a very loving, bizarre, wonderful relationship, um, and and they kind of get back together with with Angel, much to Angel's consternation. And they get back together with Angel, or. Angelus, yes. as he turns into, largely because of Jenny Callender, which is the fakest sounding name I've ever heard. <laughs> so Jenny Callender is a substitute teacher. Wait, is she the sister of Marie Callender who makes the pot pies? Different calendar. She's like like months and weeks calendar. Oh, yeah. even faker. Okay. Even, <laughs> even much faker. Yeah. Okay. Well, and as it turns out, Jenny Callender is fake as well. Yes. Why? Why is Jenny Callender fake? Well, because she's the uh, the the dual virgin and whore who um, is set up to come in and destroy like like lie to everyone and destroy their lives by uh, removing this or uh, by messing with Angel. I don't I don't yeah. remember the plot reason. So Jenny Calendar, if that is her real name, which it is not, <laughs> is a so-called gypsy. Her words, not mine. Um, and Angel apparently terrorized her people way back in the day. Mm-hmm. This and is why he has a soul, because he was cursed with a soul right? by them. And so they placed this curse on him, and if he ever experienced true happiness, then his soul would be taken away. So he would experience, like, ultimate pain. So Jenny Callender comes to school, and she's like, oh, there's a British librarian. He's cool. What are these... Scooby-Doo like kids doing hanging out solving mysteries and she kind of becomes one of the gang for a while and of course she and Giles you know start making eyes at each other but of course she's also a technomancer don't forget about that amazing word oh what I'm like <laughs> going to not know what she's a, she's a technomancer she's a she's a internet witch <laughs> like a cyberbully like gonna a need, cy- I'm going to need even more information <laughs> Because of her "quote unquote" gypsy powers, she she's into magic and and more like reading about magic and like internet forums. I don't know. She, she, there's some really amazing clunky use of technology terms in, yeah. in the show, and she's she's she she comes on the show as Willow's computer teacher. Mm-hmm. Oh right, right. Because yeah. Willow <laughs> is in the first season on this massive traveling trunk size <laughs> desktop to be typing away making her geocities page just like young caroline exactly. i so identified with that doing some uh some dog pile searches for <laughs> vampires 
<laughs> finding things out. But Jenny Calendar, though, she is super important because she's getting all comfortable at Sunnydale and wants to be all nice and stuff. But then her, again, quote-unquote, gypsy <laughs> uncle comes back and he's like, Jenny Calendar, you <laughs> must you must enforce the curse. So she does. And that turns Angel into Angelus, which leads to the sex... Well, after the sex scene um, that we're going to talk about in a second, which leads us to sort of this bigger question that I'm sure everyone listening is wondering when we're going to get to is the feminism of the show. Because Buffy always comes up as like the most feminist television show ever. And she's the most feminist character ever, aside from maybe Hannah Horvath on Girls. JK, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and Lauren, we are going to get your expert insight on the feminism of Joss Whedon and Buffy the Vampire Slayer when we get right back from a quick break. So, I mean, Lauren, you're our expert with Buffy, and so I have to ask you, because there is so much controversy around not only the feminism of the show, but also just Whedon's feminism, or lack thereof. So, like, I, I have to ask, I mean, what do you think about that? All of all of it. Is, is it a feminist show? Is Joss Whedon a feminist? And I have a follow-up question to that. Is it? Is there a controversy over it? Is there anyone who would say uh, no? Over some questionable elements of the show and also some questionable things that Joss Whedon has said. Yeah, there's, uh, like like you said earlier, like all, all your faves are problematic and it's okay to like problematic things and it's okay to hold up certain parts of, of what of, of, of what you love and to kind of like just be aware of the other parts and go like, well, it's... It's real weird that, for example, two of the times that that Buffy has sex, she is super shamed for it by not only the dude, but all of her friends. Um, That's crappy. Uh, It's also realistic. And I think that that's why the show did it. I don't think that the show is holding that behavior up as laudable, certainly. Um, But it was it was something that that women go through and especially women of that age. Yeah, I got to say that I watched the episode where Buffy and Angel sleep together for the first time, for the first time, just a couple days ago. And even watching it as a 31-year-old, it like the feelings she was going through were very reminiscent of situations I found myself in of of suddenly you go you go to sleep with Angel and wake up with an <laughs> with Angelus. Yes. And uh, and so I, in a way, I appreciated uh, that honesty, but I can absolutely see why it does seem problematic, especially when years down the line, when she's dating this kind of rando, Parker, who there's really nothing that special about him, um, and they sleep together, and he turns into a jerk again, right? Yeah, which I, which I think is meant to mirror what happened between her and Angel and Buffy just having to have that moment of, like, it's not just demons. Sometimes it's just dudes. Uh, Sometimes it's just people. Sometimes people can suck as much as demons, and it's not that he is a demon. It's just that he's not nice. I'm really asking this because I, I don't know. It, does it kind of serve to reinforce the fact that, like, hey, Buffy, you don't have time for this stuff? Like, do you think it's it's to help direct her back to, like, don't it, get lost in all of this dating crap. You've got to save the world. Yeah, I think that that's largely the point of season four of Buffy. That's the season in which she goes on to have a relationship with Riley, 
um, after she has this kind of fling with Parker. And, uh, and in, in, in the notes, like you, you put Riley parentheses, ug, 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 and I laughed out loud at my desk and startled absolutely no one because there's no one here today. <laughs> but, um, but, but, but yeah, um, throughout season four, she, it, uh, she, oh, it's her trying to have that normal college relationship experience and, and to be a good girlfriend. And she's not. Um, and the dude leaves at the end. And all of us rejoiced because he was terrible and that plot line sucked. But, um, but, but, but yeah, um, I, I think that that's the point that she realizes, like, I, I have to live for me. Like, yes. I don't, I cannot base my life around these dudes. And of course she has other lovers and it gets complicated and messy. But I think that overall, the, the, the message about her relationships with guys is that, is that you have to do you. Like, yes. like, and that, doesn't it doesn't matter whether you're a dude or a lady or or, or whatever else you identify as it, it's just a human element of of needing to put yourself first but does that also hold for her relationship with spike which a lot of people point out as a problematic to use that term again relationship because of its dynamic uh-huh. uh it's it's extremely violent dynamic in yeah. which the first time that they have sex they literally bring a house down around them yeah um, and, and in, in which they, they are frequently not nice to each other. She, she refuses to acknowledge to her friends and family that they're together. Um, which is terrible. Uh, even if you are dating a demon, that's just not a cool thing to do. Um, <laughs> quote of the episode. <laughs> I don't know. I've dated, I've dated plenty of demon bartenders who I didn't acknowledge to my family. <laughs> I mean, eventually it becomes a thing. Like, I mean, like once I over over a certain period of time, I don't well, know. How long were they dating mm. or, or quote unquote dating a long time? Like the better part of a season, okay. at least. Wow. Yeah. 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 But uh, so uh, and and one of the one of the problems that I that I think you're you're trying to bring the conversation around to here is is a uh, critical moment in the show where Spike engages in non-consensual sexual contact with Buffy. Um, it doesn't go as far as, as him raping her, and it's unclear to his character at the time that it's not the normal banter that they have when they have sex. Um, and it becomes a turning point for Spike. That is the moment when Spike goes, oh no, this me not having a soul thing is a problem, I want to be a better person. I want to be a better person for this woman and for her family. So I'm going to go out and get myself, either get myself a soul or die trying. So how does he get one? Uh, there's trials. He like beats up a demon or something. Oh, so he didn't go out and get a curse? No. Okay. No. Okay. Well, and then he also becomes very protective over Dawn. And, and he always has Buffy been. briefly dies. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Yeah, she, like, sacrifices herself, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's the second time in the series that she dies. But cool. Yeah. when when in all of this does Spike build a Buffy bot so he can <laughs> technically have sex with Buffy what? anytime he uh... wants to? Like, that was that was an episode <laughs> that I'm going to need some details. <laughs> this, the, yeah, the, this is one of the three episodes that I recommended uh, y'all watch for, for its, like, gender tropes and stuff because Spike is obsessed. Be- before before they start hooking up, he is obsessed with Buffy. Okay, so this is pre-hookup. This is prior gotcha. to the hookup, <laughs> yeah. And he he has this, like, 
love-hate thing going on, and he has such a boner for her. Can I say that on the show? Can we Go talk for about it. boners? Great. Um, and, uh, and he goes to this dude in town who he knows has previously built a sex spot, because that happens. Um, uh, and he says, hey, I need I need you to make a Buffy bot or I'm going to kill you because I'm a vampire. So you should go ahead and do that. <laughs> and and that and that dude is Warren, who becomes a villain later on in the show. Um, and. And yeah, um, you know, that's creepy. That's that. I mean, I guess it's. But I guess you could contextualize that, too, with this is Spike pre-realizing that his soul is a problem. Like, Spike has no morality. Right. And and also, I guess it's better than just continuing to hit on Buffy when she doesn't want that attention. True. And Buffybot was very consensual. She loved, she did love, she was programmed to love having sex with Spike. She I don't know why I'm it. really trying to, like, uh justify sex bots but <laughs> you like them bad boys you know. <laughs> it's it's like of, those bad bots <laughs> oh no um i, I don't know I, I found buffy bot in a way endearing because because <laughs> i was just like oh spike all all you want is someone to love you you just want someone like a japanese body pillow yeah except a robot that that's looks buffy. like your enemy yeah well I kind of have a thing. I kind of liked Buffy Bot too. Just like her, her character. And she comes back and she's, she is helpful. Yeah. At certain points. Buffy Bot? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, well, they, they, t- they take Buffy Bot away from Spike and, and Willow just like keeps her in a basement somewhere <laughs> oh, because, sure. the, because the m- machinery is really interesting. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. That's all I need to know. <laughs> So circling back to Giles then, let's also talk about this relationship, which some people also find a little bit problematic. In fact, Natasha Simons over at the Mary Sue calls it, quote, the male gaze made manifest because arguably he's this paternalistic figure who is protecting Buffy. But you said you love him. I do love him. Yeah. I'm just asking about the relationship. Mm. I, I think that ultimately it's a positive one that they both learn a lot from and and I don't think I don't think it's bad to have a paternalistic relationship I mean because when, when it turns out to be positive like that when uh, eventually through the course of the show Giles gains a lot of respect for for Buffy realizes that she's the leader of the group that he is not um, and and becomes a, a follower and a friend to her and uh and, and it goes through a lot of wrinkles on, on the show which which is really interesting to me where he um he bosses everyone around and is and is like like terrible father and leaves his absent father and then comes back and and is terrible again um and, and he's he's a very human character and i don't I have I have zero problems with Rupert Giles. Yeah, I side-eyed the concept of him being the male gaze made manifest because it's a two-way relationship. It's not like he is lording over Buffy in some way. Like in the very beginning of the first season as they're kind of establishing their dynamic, okay. But even where Giles is super book smart and can be kind of a know-it-all sometimes, like Buffy also is 
very helpful for him, even just like emotionally, not in the sense of slaying vampires. Right. You know. Yeah. Uh, the, the the Watchers Council is set up to be that that male gaze personified, that paternalistic in a bad way kind of creepy thing. Uh, but it's partially due to Giles' character that that he has lived beyond that, that he that he is more trusting and generous with uh with with his power with with the power that buffy has um that that let buffy become what she does so it's 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 really a reversal of the trope like like this is a character who is meant to be that in other shows would have been that but on this show was not well what about xander so like you know we've talked about several of the male characters and a lot of what i read about xander doesn't discuss him from the point of view of him being like the funny, sarcastic, like Chandler Bing of the show, which is kind of how I always thought about him. But when you go back and read about him in context, he sounds terrible. And so could you refresh my memory about some of that stuff? Uh, yeah. And this is actually, this is actually going to also answer the question of yours that I did not answer earlier, which is, do I think that Joss Whedon is a feminist or a good enough feminist? If we can ever any, any of us be good enough <laughs> feminist. Um, so, so, so Xander Harris, um, is clearly a, a Mary Sue character for Joss Whedon, I think. Um, but by which I mean, like, he is the stand in for that writer creator. Um, he, he is, he is that writer creator's voice on the show. Um, the awkward, nice guy who messes up and has terrible consequences that he is never actually called to, called to blame for. Because he's the stand-in for the show's creator, um, Xander Harris at various points in the first couple seasons um, very rare, very nearly rapes Buffy when he is possessed by a demon. It turns out that he remembers that and he gets off like like Buffy is just like, oh, you were you were possessed by a demon. Everything's super chill. And Xander's like, I'm just not going to tell her that I remember everything. And I'm like, hold up, what? Okay, when. Buffy and Angel have their final confrontation, uh, Buffy and Angelus, rather. Uh, Xander's jealousy is what leads to Buffy needing to kill Angelus. Xander chooses not to tell Buffy that there is a better way to do it, that there is a possibility that Willow could come through with a spell to make to make the death unnecessary. But he chooses not to do it. And that is why Angelus goes to hell. And is that why you hate Xander? I'm mad about that one. Um, he, uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm mad, I'm mad about that and I'm mad that no one on the show ever calls him on that. I guess I'm mad at everyone around him. And yet he gets to secretly canoodle with Cordelia. Yeah. And then, oh, oh, I'm just having so many memories. Okay. I'm so mad about things. Mad with a Y. Yes. Um, okay. So, so yeah. So, so Xander then gets to hook up with Cordelia. And once he's with Cordelia, he starts looking back at Willow, who's had a crush on him for her entire life. And then he starts going, oh, well, now that now that Willow's in a relationship and I'm in a relationship, maybe my I can I can have feelings for Willow, too. And so he instigates them both cheating on their partners at the time. Also is never never really I mean, I, I guess that one like he has some consequences for Cordelia definitely leaves him and is like, nope. Never again. And Willow's boyfriend, Oz the werewolf, yeah, also gets very upset. And doesn't he leave town after that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Essie uh, Smith is not a fan of how Cordelia leaves. She feels like Cordelia 
ended up being disposable. Although on on the backside of things, like she, they were, she was going to the spinoff Angel. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that that was a that was a, a show choice, not a not a character choice. And Cordelia is such a such an interesting character, I think, because she's. I think she's a representation of what Buffy would have been if she had not been given these powers. Mm-hmm. And so every time that she's shallow or horrible, uh, it, it's it's a cautionary tale. But that's interesting, though, because you're saying that Xander's the stand-in for the show creator and here's the super popular, gorgeous woman who still has these moments where the audience is thinking, like, God, you're such a ditz, but she's the one that ends up with I mean until she leaves right right ends up with Sander oh and she's also she's also not a total ditz there's a great moment uh towards the end of season three where they're all getting their SAT scores back and it's revealed that Cordelia is actually in the top 10 percent of their graduating class (laughs) and and I think her line is like what I can't have layers (laughs) well and she's also very cool under pressure oh yeah yeah she turns out to be a very useful member of the team like partially because of like hairspray and whatever but uh She, she has a car. She's the only one of them who has a oh, car. Oh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> Man, you got to have the friend with the car. And know? the hairspray. Just... I can agree with that. I get so much frizz. Uh, she she turns into a very much more interesting character on, on Angel uh, after some also extraordinarily problematic things happen. Um, and I'm also interested in your point of view on some of like the slash fiction because there is a lot based on Buffy and Faith. Eliza Dushku's character, people like really wanted them to end up together. They said that, uh, Faith basically, who's like the, the dark side version of Buffy. She looks like Jessica Jones, kind of. She does. That like, these two women are just better when they're together, that they should, they should be together. Buffy should. (laughs) So naturally they should make out. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, yeah, a lot of push for that. I think that of all the characters on the show that, like, possibly wanted to make out with each other, Buffy and Faith are really low on the list. <laughs> like, I, I'm i not going to say that I've never encountered that fiction, but I've always just gone, like, wh- like why why that thing? And, and I guess it's because they're attractive human people. And they're both slayers. Who are, who are also in, in, like, close physical contact with each other, but in a fighty way, <laughs> which, is, fighty way. which is sexy or something. Um I don't know. Well, and speaking that, of female sexuality, though, we do have Tara and Willow's relationship, which not the very first lesbian relationship on TV, but one of. Yeah. And especially on such a mainstream show. And I th- believe it's like the first positive and longtime recurring lesbian relationship on TV. Yeah. And th- th- that also was was dynamic and, and changed over the course of time um, as a uh, Willow. Willow's addiction to magic is is a very clear metaphor for addiction to drugs, and and she goes through in season six, I believe, um, this this long arc of of addiction and and problematic relationship with Tara. Uh, as, as she's lying to Tara about this addiction of hers, she winds up using magic to erase Tara's memories about some of the fights that they're having, and and I thought that it was really nice to see a lesbian relationship portrayed as as such a human relationship. Um. Yeah, it seemed pretty clear that it wasn't there for shock value or to be salacious or titillation. Yeah. Um, J- Joss Whedon chose um, that the first moment that they kiss on screen to be uh, s- spoiler alert. Um, the during the episode where Joyce Buffy's mother has just died, and it's 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 a moment where 
Tara, like, like Willow is just freaking out and Tara just takes her face in her hands and kisses her in like the most gentle, comforting way possible. And, uh, and I, and I, and I read that or heard one way or another that that was so much on purpose to, to take all of the sexual, sexuality out of it, to take all of the salaciousness out of it. Um, one thing though that you do not see on the show, and this, uh, does harken back to our Gilmore Girls conversation a while back, is that there is nary a person of color, really ever. I think the the only aside from extras, maybe in in the background halls at Sunnydale High, not really. The first person of color, especially woman of color, with a speaking role that I remember seeing on the show is in the episode when uh, way later in season six, no five, season five, Buffy goes out into the desert to have a vision. She's on like basically like on a vision quest that Giles takes her out for. She finally gets it and her vision becomes this uh woman of color who has like very tribal esque face paint on Is that the first slayer? Yeah. Yeah. Because she it, that woman comes back in her dreams in season seven. Okay. So the first slayer. And as she's dancing around the fire I was just thinking, oh, oh, my. <laughs> oh, wow. It's super problematic. It's it's angrifying. There was a woman of color with a speaking role or earlier on the show. Um, uh, one of the other slayers, uh, Kendra, played by Bianca Lawson, who whose character, I believe, was from Jamaica or Haiti, maybe, and had this very over the top. The, act, the actress has an American accent, but she was coached in, into this very weird sounding accent that I, I'm not positive that she was performing well. Uh, and there were all of these strange racial stereotypes um, surrounding her and it wasn't very complimentary. And uh, like, like mostly about like, like her, her culture being uh, kind of backwoods. Oh, totally. Well, and then with the first layer, you get the, a similar kind of thing yeah. of the woman of color being very, Exoticized and, and, and primitive and primitive. Yeah, 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 and and authentic. Um, and uh, later, later in the series, in the seventh season, a whole bunch of other potential slayers come into the show from all over the world due to specific plot reasons. And and they are even then, even at the seventh <laughs> season of the show, when it has been on for so long, still treated as as token people of color. Yeah, there was like one black woman. Like, you would think that when Slayers are showing up from all over nah. the world. No, nah, just the one's fine. And I think, was there one Asian woman? Yeah, there was a Chinese woman, I believe, who doesn't speak any English and is, like, it's a huge joke that she's lactose intolerant. I don't know. It's, I, it's really, it's really bad. There's plenty of villains who are people of color. Uh, Come on. So true. Yeah. It, but this also, I mean, if you, and this is not to take the show off the hook, but it is helpful to remember that during this time with shows like Dawson's Creek, Buffy, Gilmore Girls, all of these incredibly popular shows were so completely white. They were just 110% white almost. <laughs> um, so yeah. it is good to see that uh, at least now <laughs> um, characters of color are not as completely in- rendered invisible and tokenized to the same degree that they were. And I would think that if Joss Whedon were making the show today, 
that he would not repeat that. I would. I, I would recite. I would hope that's that's one of the things that um that that's one of the criticisms that is frequently lobbied against Joss Whedon. And I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't know the dude. All I all I know is the the media that he has put out, and and he has a pretty consistent rate of not including people of color on his shows. And, and when he does, having some just real awkward stuff around, you know, like the 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 one black guy on Angel is from the hood, and likes the basketball and stuff like that. <laughs> mm. And it's sort of like, oh, dude. Um, there, there's one interesting moment in season seven that where Buffy is speaking to the new principal of the high school and and he is a black guy. And uh, and he says something about about his youth and, and like and like rough times or something like that. And, and she says awkwardly for the show's purpose on purpose. Oh, because you're from the street. And he says, I'm from A Street, not like D Street. Such an odd choice. I'm like, make. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, did you just make your main character real racist on purpose? Yeah. Like, is that what just and then like, I mean, at least the dude like called her on it. Like, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Ish. So, I mean, it seems like I don't know. Joss Whedon, feminist, sure, but maybe needs to work on some intersectionality. I would certainly say, say that, that that is the case. Yes. Um, and in terms of, in terms of the show's overall feminism though, I think it's undeniably feminist. If you look at the structure of the slayage and how the first slayer was put in that position and the whole dynamic between these female slayers and the watchers council and all of the patriarchal overtones, and then when you have in the final season the arrival of Caleb, who really is the patriarchy embodied and kind of the ultimate big bad. Yeah, yeah. He's just a, a, a walking demon MRA. It's it's really, really ridiculous and <laughs> over the top and wonderful. Um, also played by Nathan Fillion, who is another Joss Whedon favorite cast member. But So is that a redemptive ending then? Because I know some people were dissatisfied with the final season. Although, is there a final season of any show that people love? Um, It it seems like that that puts a final point on the whole thing of like, yeah, if in case you hadn't been getting it for the past seven seasons. I mean, I'm speaking as Joss Whedon. (laughs) Yeah, this is what's been going on. This is a feminist show. uh, a brief rundown of what goes on in season seven. The bad guys literally blow up the Watchers Council. Spoilers, y'all. I'm sorry. Um, uh, literally blow up the patriarchy that Buffy has been living in. Um, and then this new version, this new scarier version of the patriarchy embodied by Caleb shows up and then she just kills the heck out of him. Um, and, and then realizes that, uh, that she cannot be a she cannot be a typical male leader she cannot be a a masculine force that is oh goodness it's it's so it's so problematic trying to even describe a a woman in that kind of position of power that buffy comes into by the end of the series um so I'm like so bossy and brassy. Um, I think authoritarian is a word that comes up a lot. Okay, yes. Um, that that she cannot be an authoritarian leader. That she needs the help of her of her friends, and that she needs um, to allow herself to be emotional and and tender and loved. And and that is how, in the end, she uh, destroys the the bad guys and saves the world. And she passes along 
her slaying to all of the potentials. So it becomes she like shares this feminist her power. community. Yeah. The sisterhood. Yeah. And and furthermore, her uh her boyfriend, who is the feminine partner in their relationship, sacrifices himself in order for her to get her job done. Which is problematic in its own way. The number of lady partners in relationships, like like the the, the femme partner the femme partners that die in Joss Whedon relationships is all of them. And that is real weird. Mm. I don't like that one. So people, regardless of whether they are male or female, if their partner is more feminine, they tend, his characters tend to kick the bucket. Uh, the, the feminine one is the one that dies in order to progress the masculine one storyline. Interesting. Hmm. I mean, here's the thing when it comes to conversations around Joss Whedon and feminism. And I'm saying this as someone who is not a Whedon diehard. Not that I don't like him. I'm just not, I have not consumed all of his content, uh, to put it in digital media terms. <laughs> but to me, as more of an outsider looking in, I wonder what the point of kind of placing this feminist mantle upon his shoulders really is. Because it turns into this question not of, is Joss Whedon a feminist? Because like Beyonce, he says he's a feminist, but there are things kind of like Beyonce where I don't know. I don't know. I mean, is he really good enough of that? And that's where that's where you lose me, where I'm like, really? That's not the point. Well, exactly. And I'm glad you said that because that takes me back to the episode that you and I did on Beyonce, where we were having the exact same conversation of like, why do people need to ask I asked you whether he was a feminist for a very specific reason, and that is because in our Beyonce episode, I brought up the point of, like, there will be other feminists. There will be other cupcakes, is I think what I said, and that (laughs) I was trying to give the example of how I, like, you know, I won't let myself eat every single cupcake that comes into the office. People want to have that pop cultural powerful force that comes in and, like, eradicates problematic media and i think when you start to give an indication of like hey i'm feminist i get it like i'm gonna promote powerful women and show these great images on screen i think that there is a degree out among the masses of like oh yes thank you oh thank god finally yeah you and will so be then, the perfect cupcake you will be the cupcake to end all other cupcakes right I, know, I will never need another one and so then when someone makes a creative decision or just a human choice that is human or makes a mistake or whatever, I think it's that much, it can be that much easier to criticize, but also it can be that much more painful for the people who were depending on that person to be the end-all, be-all feminist. Rather than just exercising our own media literacy and selectiveness as we we so choose as feminist consumers, it's short-sighted and to me, frankly, a waste of energy to conflate a celebrity feminist, which both Whedon and Beyonce are. (laughs) How Beyonce ended up in this conversation, I don't know, by the way, but I'm totally fine with it. Um, But to conflate that with not problematic whatsoever. Right. Like there's, there's this unnecessarily high bar, I think, that we sometimes establish for uh, feminists where, yes, people should be held accountable for their actions, but to presume that feminism means uh, ethically Perfection. perfect, yeah. right, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Yeah, we're all human and we're all learning. And 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 certainly in like 1997, people were still learning. And, and there's been so much 
excellent uh, uh, just public discourse about how to portray how to portray human people, women and men and everything um, on the screen. And I and I think that Buffy has been an undeniable progression in seeing different types of characters who who display different types of genders um, and, and, and sexualities in pop culture and especially in pop culture f- specifically for young girls. And one other thing I'm curious about from people like you who who are more well-versed in the, the Whedon canon and also Whedon fandom is this sense that I have gotten over time that there's even more he, – he receives a lot more feminist gravitas because he's a man and that if he were a female showrunner, like, say, Shonda Rhimes, who's super feminist – there's usually a lot more uh, scrutiny, I feel like, applied to women using their platforms. Or the dismissal that you're just making girl things for girls. Huh. Right. Yeah, oh. totally. Oh, man. Because, of course, we want to give a guy a round of applause if he is daring to create a capital S strong female character. And I'm not I'm not putting down what he did at all. I'm more interested in how we... Uh, how we perceive that, a guy doing that differently than perceiving, say, again, to use Shonda Rhimes, Shonda Rhimes creating Olivia Pope, who is an extremely uh, strong female character. But it doesn't feel as daring because she, uh, you know, it's yeah. a woman elevating a woman. Yeah, I, I feel like... Uh, I, I feel like I should just like pull up Twitter quotes and, and like and like quotes on Twitter right now because I, I there's such amazing conversation about that over there. And I'm happy for a lot of things that he's said. I, I mean, we we need men like Whedon who are totally cool with not only talking the talk, but also making feminist media. Yeah, I, I do think that there are more props that are given to, to guys who step into that conversation than than props are given to women for the same thing. Because, yeah, because it's like, well, of course, of course, you're you're talking about feminism. You're you're a lady human. And so that's what you want to do. And like, has there has there been backlash against uh, uh, the lady creator of Jessica Jones for? Um, oh, I mean, I, the, the the comic book, I believe, was Brian Michael Bendis. But uh, but the TV show was a female creator and she was one of the creators of the Twilight series of films, um, which is a really interesting flip to me in terms of how how the media that you are producing is dealing with with gender. Well, and that's interesting because from what I remember when it first came out, like my Twitter feed was just full of praise, including my own tweets for Jessica Jones and how it was, uh, you know, addressing rape and consent and all of these other factors um, and also her just being a literally and figuratively strong female character. But it was more focused on the content rather than the creator so much. Um, and I, again, I wonder if that's because of gender, because there's a presumption that it's a bigger risk for a man to step out and claim feminism, when in fact, I would argue the opposite. That I it's riskier for a woman. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've got, yeah, people are going to, mm, not, not necessarily. And I think it's changing. And I, I mean, I hope it's changing, but I, but I do think people are like, oh, that is so nice of him to help those ladies mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. They really needed a hand up. And that strong man just stepped right in and did that for them. And I just love him for that. It's a little, it, he, he, it's a little Xandery every now and then. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that Whedon is worth addressing because Buffy has the staying power not only because of the show, but the entire culture that it created. I mean, the, the entire academic field yeah, that yeah. it's created, the, you know, the space that it has uh, put out there to allow for for not for not only those kind of of women characters uh, doing women stuff on on TV and in movies, but um, but also uh, the the genre bending, the the possibility that it opened up to to have really comedic, dramatic horror that's super comic booky and has like seven minute fight scenes for sometimes for like no real reason that anyone can discern, especially the fight coordinators. Uh, sometimes they looked real bored. I've got to be honest. Like there were, there were days on Buffy that I was like, Oh, no one was having a good time in this <laughs> fake cemetery. Um, but, uh, but no, it, it's, it's fun. And, uh, and it has fun with what it's doing. And, its creators are human and they're telling stories about human people. And I think that that we needed that so badly. And it's crazy that we didn't have it. I, I feel like it, it brought a, a much deeper level of, of personability to, to television, especially. And I can't think of a character before Buffy who was so sexy, inherently sexy, but not overly sexualized on the show. Yeah, uh, and she did, especially in seasons like one and two, she did wear like a lot of mini skirts and like, like big old boots and stuff like that. But, uh, but it was never like panty shots. I mean, it was like, like the character was meant to be cute and sexy, but yeah, it, it was, that was a function of her character. And I, I honestly love that her character was allowed to be girly like that. Um, uh, allowing someone to, present their gender how they want to because it's so unfeminist to say what a feminist is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, one final question, though, for you. Does Buffy ever get her period on the show? No. In the movie, it's a plot point. Um, in, in the movie, the way that Buffy knows when a vampire is near is she starts getting cramps. <laughs> I could not make this up. I could not and would not joke about Buffy the Vampire Slayer's cramps. Um, but uh, I kind of love that. <laughs> but no, I don't think that I don't think that any time in the entirety of that series did anyone uh, Xander Xander at one point is going through Willow's bag looking for something um, and and is just like you know throwing like hairbrushes and books and whatever and like comes across a tampon and realizes what it is and goes and like th- tosses it. Um, but I think that's literally the only time that periods ever come up on the show, which I feel like is a thing that dude roommate would still do. <laughs> throw your throw your tampon if in he, disgust if he came across a tampon in the wrapper yeah like oh, i yeah, feel like yeah. he would still be like it wasn't Ugh. used or anything yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's not yeah i don't that, that's another like that stinks but it's realistic yeah exactly. <laughs> hashtag not all xanders <laughs> <laughs> well lauren thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wealth of buffy knowledge thank you so much for letting me sit here and and listening to me babble about buffy most people aren't as interested when i start going into minor plot points of a television show that ended over a decade ago so <laughs> oh it's delightful <laughs> and if there are listeners who haven't seen buffy and are intimidated by the fact that there are seven seasons it's a lot to cannonball into 
Do you say just start at the beginning or do you have any good like intro episode that you would recommend Um, or just one of your faves, one of your all time favorite episodes? Oh, goodness. There's too many of them. Um, I would say as a super fan that if if you want to understand everything that Buffy is about, there are callbacks to stuff that happens in season one at the end of season seven. So so starting at the beginning and honestly slogging through some of the works in progress that the show was at that point is very rewarding. Um other than that, I'll I'll try to I'll try to come up with something great uh and and like a really pithy wrap up episode to to put on on social media, but uh I, I guess I guess Hush um it, which is a a horror one-off from season 4 is is a really good place to to kind of jump in and see it's an unusual episode, but but it shows the the depth and, and breadth of everyone's talents on the show. And to keep people, including myself, going, because there's still stuff I need to watch, do you have a favorite season? Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe season three or maybe season five. All right. Or maybe season six. <laughs> no, I think season three or season five. Yeah. Okay. It's like they're like both up there. Excellent. There's a lot of shirtless spike in season five, and I really can't recommend that enough. Yeah, one of my one of my best girlfriends was all about Spike in high school. I mentioned to her that, that, bad I, was, boys. that I was doing this episode. She was like, "Oh, Spike. Yeah. How are you going to talk about Spike?" <laughs> well, listeners, Buffy fans, calling all y'all to the yard. What do y'all think about Buffy and feminism and Joss Whedon and vampires and all this fun stuff? And what is your favorite or least favorite episodes, seasons, share it all with us. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you when we come right back from a quick break. And I have a letter here from Megan in response to our Empowertizing episode. Megan says... Uh, while I loved it, there is one sentence I have to take issue with. One of you said there's no empirical proof that commercials are going to solve sexism. Not entirely true. Did you know that thanks to the tobacco industry targeting women from torches of freedom to you've come a long way, baby, to the more insidious modern methods of product placement and popular TV programs like Mad Men and House of Cards, women and men suffer from the same number of deaths owing to smoking-induced lung cancer. In the far past, the number of men who died from this horrific disease was considerably higher than the number of women, but nowadays it's much the same. Isn't it great to know that although we haven't achieved equality in pay, political representation, or almost any other area, thanks to the advertising industry, we as a gender have the same chance of dying an untimely, painful, preventable death due to cigarette consumption as do men. What an achievement. Please forgive my British irony. Doesn't that make you want to vomit or set fire to every advertising agency in the world? Having nursed my mother through cancer, this topic makes me really angry. I often refer my students to your podcast. If they won't do the recommended reading, I hope they will do some recommended listening. So may I please ask you to remind young women how dangerous smoking is and not cool and definitely not original and very definitely not a feminist statement. Uh, thank you so much, Megan, for your very true point about uh, advertising equality. So I've got a letter here also about that episode from Melissa 
who has a story about her grandmother. She writes, My grandmother and I were chatting at the kitchen table over coffee one day, and somehow we got onto the topic of feminine hygiene. I used cloth pads at the time. I've since had a hysterectomy. And I was asking her about feminine products of her time. She told me about the time when her sister Jane had a most horrible experience while working in New York as a rockette. Jane was told by fellow a fellow dancer that Lysol would help her stay fresh and avoid having a baby. So she went home armed with her new knowledge and went straight to the restroom. She apparently placed Lysol, the kind you clean with, in a douche bag, undiluted, and proceeded to freshen her lady bits. My grandmother, who shared the apartment with her, heard her scream, Olive, I'm burning! My grandmother recalled that she found my Aunt Jane in the bathtub sobbing and running cold water over her vagina. She said it took an hour to stop burning and that Jane was tender down there for days. My grandmother and I laughed at Jane's expense for a long time. (laughs) And then my grandma gave me the same advice you did. Melissa, honey, don't douche with Lysol. It's not to be used down there. (laughs) Oh, Melissa, has there ever been greater grandmother advice? I think not. (laughs) So thanks, everyone, for sharing uh, all of your stories, including your douching stories. We'd love to hear them all. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts with our sources, so you can learn even more about the Buffyverse, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 